Hello there, my warrior friends. Welcome to Caregivers Conversations. I'm your host, Leanne McKinley, and an unpaid caregiver just like you. In this podcast, we discuss the truths behind the daily struggles of the unpaid and untrained caregiver. Fasten your seatbelts because you're about to hear raw, edgy, and real-life conversations with like-minded caregivers and industry experts whose missions align with mine, which is to change the way we all experience caregiving. In this community, I aim to inject your life with practical tips, tools, and techniques that will leave you feeling energized and uplifted. Are you ready to get inspired and to change the way you experience caregiving? If so, buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three. For those of you that are returning, thank you so much for following my journey. Next week, we are going to have a beautiful guest. Sarah is going to, she has her master's in Chinese medicine, and she's going to walk us through some really quick stress-busting techniques that we can all benefit from. So I'm looking forward to that. So I hope you will come and join us next week for that as I start to interview people and we start to talk about ways to change our living, our caregiving experience. But before I do that, I have to honor my dad in this episode. Last episode and the one before that, I started to talk to you about my family journey and my my history, my childhood trauma and what made this caregiving experience when I got thrown into it so traumatic for me and created so much anger and bitterness and exhaustion for me. And again, I've said, I think more than once now that while my specific situation might be unique, we are all dealing with stress as a caregiver in a role that we likely didn't plan on or prepare for. And if you're like me and you're caring for an elderly parent or a sibling or another family member, The dynamics of that relationship and any unresolved family trauma or history within that relationship with the person you're now caring for comes crashing down front and center on us when we are cast into the role of caring for them. I mean, how could it not? And so, you know, talking about how to heal ourselves so that we can be present in the role of caring for our loved one. When we learn to love ourselves and have compassion and forgive ourselves for whatever things in life we're still carrying unresolved within us, these self-loathing or self-hating or self-disappointment you know, in ourselves or lack of forgiveness or whatever it is that you may be clinging on to, if we don't get resolved for that, if we don't dig deep and heal those aspects of ourselves... It's really hard to find compassion and love for someone else. I mean, we have to be able to exemplify that for ourselves first. So not only is our well-being reliant on our ability to heal and take care of ourselves, and I mean, healing is a form of taking care of ourselves. When I talk about self-care in these episodes, I'm not just talking about pedicures and manicures and bubble baths. That's all fantastic, well and good, but I'm talking really deep healing. And so it's a really great opportunity to explore your own self-love, your own self-forgiveness, your own compassion for self. 
your family history, your lineage, your relationships. And to, to really take a look at that and heal that within yourself so you can be a better caregiver, so you can thrive in this role. And the person you're caring for is the beneficiary of that. Let's just talk about that for one second here. I talked about compassion fatigue episode two briefly about it being talked about in other industries and not in our industry of the unpaid, untrained caregiver. And it's described as secondary trauma that first line responders, doctors, whoever, therapists, veterinarians, all experience police officers, ambulance attendants, nurses, doctors, through caring for another person, through osmosis, through the listening and being cast into the chaotic life of the patient, which is what we do every day. And we don't get a break from it. So I want you to think about that for a second. As an energy healer and a Reiki healer, everything is energy. Our thoughts are energy. How well we sleep is either energy in or energy out. When we exercise, we either gain energy or we are depleted of energy. Our relationships, our food, everything is energy. And it is either things are giving us energy or taking our energy. And so if you can absorb the energy of the chaos and the negativity of the person you're caring for, that can have a negative impact on you called compassion fatigue or secondary trauma, then it stands to reason that the person you're caring for can also absorb your negative energy. I'm going to repeat that. If the person you're caring for their trauma, their chaos can create secondary trauma within your body, your mental state, your physical state, your emotional state, otherwise known as compassion fatigue, well discussed in the medical industries, in the therapy industry, in the veterinarian industry, as everything is energy, then it stands to reason the person that you are caring for living with presumably living with, some of you may not be, the person you are caring for is impacted either positively or negatively by your energy. And so healing and dealing with our own crap, our own unresolved shit, excuse my language, is vital to everybody's well-being. So I leave that thought with you so that you can start to ask yourself, What energy are you putting out? What energy are you taking in? This energizing me brand, this concept of energy, everything being energy is something that I've been talking about for over a decade as I started to practice Reiki and as an empath, because I could feel intimately everybody's energy and I absorb it. And if you are an empath, you will likely have that same issue. And so shielding yourself energetically is so vitally important. And it's something that I practice mostly every day. And when I don't, I pay the piper for it. So I have tattooed on my left forearm my brand Energizing Me, which is also what I started years ago when I was burnt out. So just ask yourself, how are you sharing your energy with the person you care for? How is your energy impacting them? And then I'm going to quickly dedicate this episode to my dad, Bob is what he knows, goes by, is known by, asks people to call him Robert McKinley, because he doesn't have a voice. 
So I'm going to go into finishing the story now of what happened to my dad because protecting the elderly, changing how we treat the elderly, how we age is very important. Family dysfunction, what the things that people do to one another for money are all so important, such important topics to discuss. And so they'll come out of this podcast. But I'm going to share the last of the story and I'm going to go through it quickly because I'm telling you, it could be a movie. It's so in depth and I'm not going to get into every detail here and I'm not here to be a finger pointer. I'll let you make the connecting dots and draw your own conclusions from what I share because I'm, you know, I'm not here to be the judge, jury and executioner of the people that defrauded my dad I'm going to share the story because he has no voice and I want him to have a voice because watching how people took advantage of him and the system failed him, didn't protect him, was extremely traumatic for me, as I said, and made multiple crying sessions and deep, deep, deep pain. I mean, it created such a a rift within me, but that ultimately also led to some healing and some new belief systems and how I had to let go of these this anger for my own sake, for my own energy, for my own survival. And it was hard. It was bloody hard because I grew up, as I told you, in this repressed, oppressed, dysfunctional family where my voice wasn't allowed to be heard and where I was scapegoated and outcasted for speaking the truth. And so it took a lot of courage for me to even get to this place, to be even on this podcast, to be brave enough to speak my voice and to say to myself and to everybody listening that we all have the power of the truth of our experiences and we have the ability to speak our truth when we do that healing that may have kept us in fear for speaking our truth for so long. And so this podcast also represents my healing in this journey But this episode, I want to dedicate to my dad, who doesn't have a voice. For any other elderly person out there who doesn't have a voice, who's not heard collectively by the society that we live in right now in the way that they need to be heard and protected. So I told you I arrived to Florida just into the middle of December, about a week after my receiving this text message and missed call on my birthday, December 8th, 2019. And that I was probably about a week later, it took me to get down to Florida and met with my dad's and my ex- mom's ex-cleaning lady who cleaned for them for 10 years, having removed his key, gate key, car keys, bank cards she wanted to take from his wallet and had called the hospital that she had a baker acted to. They were holding him to wait for my arrival in Florida as they had suspected he had dementia and was not in good shape and he had no money and they didn't want to just release him again to her care because she had failed to even fulfill a prescription for him for $5 and he was sick again. And so they were on my guidance keeping him there until I was arriving safely to care for him because she clearly couldn't be trusted. So I get into the house and I see a stacks of mail on the table. And the first thing I notice is one of his, the banks that he was at, that he had his account at, the bank statement account number ripped off of the statement to the, of the top right-hand corner of the bank statement. And now that I know the American banking system, I understand what that was about. But at the time it was like, ooh, suspicious. See, in Canada, we can't just 
call in our bank account number to pay a utility bill. We just can't do that over the phone like that, like you can in the United States. So in the United States, for those of you that are not living there and not aware of their banking system, if you want to pay a utility bill, you can do so in an automated system by just calling in a bank number. So it doesn't even have to be your bank number. So that became relevant later. But I get inside, I'm exhausted. I've driven two days, you know, really long days with my two dogs by myself through the mountains in the snow and pelting hail and slush and, you know, you name it. And it's pretty late at night. So other than noticing the mail, I don't open it quite yet. I just, that one piece was left open. The envelope was open and it just struck me as odd. And I had stacks of mail on the table And I uh, get ready to go to bed and I wake up in the morning and I'm sitting out in the lanai and I had been trying to get the house sold through a realtor before going down there. And then we had some problems. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my story. Never mind. (laughs) That was my second visit to Florida. It's all becoming a blur because it's so crazy. So I, the next morning I opened the mail. I was thinking about the coffee when I was in the lanai, but that's another day. I, I opened the mail and find out that both his house that he was living in and the house that he had a tenant in were in foreclosure notices uh, three months in arrears. So he was literally days away from losing both homes. So that's what I woke up to. I told the hospital I would contact them when I arrived and call them to arrange to pick him up. So I arranged to pick him up. And I bring him home and boy, he was in rough shape. My dog slept on his chest. The dog that I had to put down since, bless his soul, who had leukemia. He slept on his neck for two weeks. I've got pictures of he just, he just nursed him back to health. I mean, he was in pretty bad shape. So I uh, managed to get us cooked some Cornish hens because it's Christmas and put up a tree and nurse him back to health and figure out how the heck I'm going to get both his properties out of arrears and where did all this money go? And he had been saying for the, you know, the past year that, you know, when his memory was better, he had been saying that my mom had stayed with in his house in their, what was their matrimonial home during their separation and had taken his laptop. And I, you know, dismissed all that, but uh, turns out all that was true. So I'm trying to figure out where his money is and I got stacks of unpaid bills unopened mail and the hospital saying that it was likely to mention that I needed to get a formal diagnosis and nurse him back to health that he had almost died and that he had pneumonia and bronchitis and gosh knows what else. He kept saying that he had been drugged by this caregiver, that he was convinced that he had been drugged. And that was confirmed by his divorce attorney, by the way the one that he had all the way up until the 11th hour until this articling student who shall become nameless who took over his entire business fired through facts that I got a copy of the attorney that was representing my father up until the 11th hour for his divorce and hired himself the same attorney that would go on I would find to put illegal liens on both the properties in favor of my mother, who would be receiving his life insurance policy mailed to his address, clearly indicated by the address on the statement that I would then receive, that they would go ahead and then cash, by the way. So I get there, there's no evidence of what's going on and there's no money anywhere. 
And at first, the obvious choice, of course, was this cleaning lady who wanted his bank cards, who they then reported to elderly victim services, who then came to the house to question me. And then she decided to retaliate and then accuse me of elderly abuse. Oh, yeah. And so the joy ride starts. She kept showing up unannounced. And I had said to you that when I met her after she handed him the brandy instead of the alcohol, non-alcoholic Bexbury asked for the year and a half before that, when I brought him back from Ottawa after he almost died, his withdrawal from his representing himself in court. And uh, she had been promised by him that he would give her the house. Well, he had nothing left to give because there was these liens on the properties that he knew of. So obviously the confusion was obvious, you know, in hindsight, it was there at that time that his inability to really grasp what was happening to him. But anyways, she um, was obviously the first person I would focus on because of what I had seen with her admitting to removing the lockbox, the key from the lockbox to the hospital reporting her. And I think I told you she was built like, and probably still is like a quarterback football player showing up at the house. I'm nursing my dad back to health. And she's telling my dad to tell me to go back home to Canada. And every time she's there in front of me, dismissing me and trying to kick me out of my own father's home, he starts getting aggressive towards me and concurring. So I finally said to her, you will not come back here unannounced. And I'm standing at the front door and she's threatening me as I've told the police with her knuckles cracking them standing over me and says I will fucking come unannounced whenever I want so I took that as a real threat the police said that wasn't really a threat of course she was smart enough to know what to say not to say but if you were standing there watching her body language you would have seen it and taken it as a threat as well so her and all her friends start showing up and threatening me unannounced at the house, and I finally was able to get a restraining order against this woman who was a crack addict and a prostitute, and they were attacking me on Facebook, and yeah, you name it. So, of course, I went down that bunny trail at first, but the more I started to dig, and by the way, I used to use tarot cards, <laughs> which I love, I'm a fan of, Oracle and tarot cards, to help me figure out what was going on, it was pretty apparent that the lawyer that had fired my dad's divorce attorney who was supposed to be a friend of my father's, was also an investor in the land development subdivision that my dad had been running for several years. And he also knew the lawyers, because they were all partners, that my mom would end up hiring, who would place the illegal liens on his houses in Florida. He was also the lawyer that gave my mom all the money, who cashed out the life insurance policy for my mother, who had it mailed to his office. And I think I told you in the midst of my mom leaving my dad, she had taken $150,000 out of his business account, stolen it during the separation that he wasn't aware of. And so his investment check bounces. So the same lawyer that's now representing him a year and a half prior was an investor that was trying to fire him. So his investment check bounces. He's in Florida on a work visa. And this articling student, supposed friend of his, is an investor of that land development. And he's also handling my dad's divorce a year and a half later. So my dad goes to sue these gentlemen 
for the lack of the appropriate word because it wouldn't be polite enough for this podcast, sues them for 750,000 US dollars because that's the income he would have gotten because he's explaining to them that the only reason his investment check as a partner bounced was because he didn't realize my mom was about to steal $150,000 out of his business account. It wasn't his fault. And he needed the work, the visa. So this lawyer in my dad's mental unfit state and inability to really grasp what was going on convinces my dad to drop his $750 US thousand dollar lawsuit. This lawyer shouldn't have been dealing with it as an investor that he was trying to sue, now handling the renegotiation on behalf of all the other investors. Shouldn't have happened. So he drops the lawsuit and they settle for a new contract that this lawyer was responsible to pay him for. And they still to this day haven't paid him a penny. So as I'm looking at the pile of bills and I'm trying to find the money and I'm guiding, being guided through the tarot cards and my intuition as to where this money has disappeared to. Yes, this woman, the cleaning lady had a part in it. My dad still claims and in fact, yesterday we were walking and he, I had it cried a lot yesterday because as I talk to you about what happened to my dad, it's because I want to give him a voice, but I really need to let go and forgive these people for what they did to him and the injustice because it's eating away at me. And so I had this final release yesterday. I was crying and my dad talked and I about it. We talked about it on our walk and he reminded me that he had been claiming she had drugged him, this cleaning lady. She also knew my ex-brother-in-law, who was also represented by the same lawyer in this separation because, as I said, my sister was leaving my ex-brother-in-law at the same time my mom left my dad. My dad, who had always done everything for the family financially, had supported my ex-brother-in-law financially so he could buy these pizza franchises. He wasn't going to be able to do it without my dad's help. It was supposed to be my dad's retirement fund. The part that he invested was supposed to come in as a monthly income for him. But my ex-brother-in-law managed to take this cash business model that others I had known. In fact, I had an ex-client of mine he bought the pizzeria from. He was a multimillionaire in one of the franchise locations. And my dad helped my ex-brother-in-law buy four locations. But somehow he managed to run them into the ground, so he says. And so was no longer able to give my dad his retirement money. So that's why my dad started to get back into land development in Florida because he was a land developer here in Ottawa and I'd worked for him for 10 years. So he'd started this project years ago, this subdivision. And I'd been there, I'd seen it, I'd seen the model homes and this articling student was a partner in it and an investor and they'd all made lots of money out of it, but they had to sell the model homes and they were starting another investment. And my dad had the willing, the ability and the willing investors that had been with him for years and years and years in all his investment journeys. And so it was easy for him to go and dap back down to Florida and, and pick up what he had been doing here for so long. And he had been going to Vero Beach, Florida for 15 some years with my mom for winters. And so he's down there on the work visa and they cancel his income. So that's where everything goes awry because this lawyer that was defending my ex-brother-in-law in his divorce, and my dad simultaneously was in serious conflict of interest in many aspects, as you can hear from the story now. My dad had to sell the building that the pizza franchise was in for his marriage, his dissolved marriage for the separation and the divorce with my mother. And so the pizza business that was in this location also ended up getting sold and it affected my sister in her marriage. 
And the same lawyer that would defend my ex-brother-in-law, I have emails from that my ex-brother-in-law owes my dad like thousands of thousands, just over 50 under 100,000, just leave it there, in dollars to this day still. And so I had been a part of one of the negotiations when I, of that offer, I don't remember if I talked about it, but just before he went into the hospital or after he came out of the hospital rather, because I'm a real estate agent, or was, I, I let my license just go just a couple months ago, but 25 years in real estate and I've commercially licensed and it was stressful. And so I start taking over the negotiations and I had negotiated because my ex-brother-in-law owed him money, a $2,500 a month payment for the chattels that he sold to the new owner of the pizza place that my dad would now get the chattel mortgage payment of $2,500 a month that this lawyer was to collect. So the new buyer that buys the pizza franchise buys the equipment as a separate part of the offer so that his payment of the equipment is now the portion that my ex-brother-in-law owed my dad and he's going to pay him basically not directly, but indirectly by not taking that money for himself and allowing the new owner to pay my dad for the channel mortgage for $2,500 a month. And it's in the written agreement and I'm witness to it. Somewhere that lawyer gets a new agreement signed and he stops sending my dad. In September, 2019, stop sending my dad the $2,500 a month. At the same time, you may recall that I get a text from Tony, the cleaning lady, who my ex-brother-in-law knew, by the way, because she was the family cleaning lady for years. So my ex-brother-in-law knew her, my sister knew her, and my mom knew her very well. And she's over there during hurricane season at my dad's because he has a hurricane room. And I get this text to not come to Florida for that winter, and I had nowhere to go. At the same time, coincidence or not, I don't think so, that the lawyer stops sending my dad on behalf of my ex-brother-in-law the $2,500 a month he owes him. Well, that was what was paying his mortgages, friends, because they canceled his work visa and they didn't pay him what they owed him on the new contract. And they canceled his work visa because my mother stole the money out of his account and they are the lawyers that used to work for my father and were the investors in this land development. How dirty can you be? So that's what I unraveled through tarot cards because the evidence had been taken uh, along with all his money. And so when I told you about the emergency hearing in court, what I in theory think happened is originally he probably was going to agree to give my mom these illegal mortgages on his homes until he had no income left of 750,000 US dollars a year. My dad was a multimillionaire, don't forget. This is not small potato money he was making. Until he had no income left, he changes his mind, which is why they want to have an emergency hearing, but they don't even show up to it. Because I did while he was in the hospital and they don't show up because they ignore medical letters and my power of attorney and go ahead and have him sign it anyways leaving him with no money September the year later after they fired themselves, this lawyer, his divorce attorney, and don't show up to court so he's had no representation. They stop sending him the $2,500 a month in September and I get down there in December and he's weeks, minutes away from losing both his houses to be homeless. And because the illegal liens are in favor of my beautiful mother, she would have got both properties entirely to herself. That's the story. 
And so, oh, and I forgot another very important aspect to this. So I get him home from the hospital. I got piles of bills and there's no money. And I'm trying to figure, I'm, so I'm paying his bills, my bills, his mortgages and arrears. I'm trying to, all along the way, we got these little miracles. Because as you can see, I grew up in a family highly dysfunctional around money. A lot of people, let's face it, a lot of the police have told me, the Dementia Society, the Alzheimer's Society, the title insurance company who closed my dad's property, the woman that was an ex-police officer said she had these conversations on a daily basis with the elderly who are defrauded of their money. This is becoming a serious problem. Why? Because people are too driven about money, number one, but they have some problems in their root chakra areas where they don't trust in the divine in the universe to provide for them. And so... I had a lot of money mental mind issues myself, having grown up in this environment that where my mother, I grew up watching, clearly loathed my dad and they had a loveless 50-year marriage and he slept on the couch, but she stayed in it for the lifestyle, folks. And so I developed a very bad attitude about money and deliberately went on to marry somebody who could care less about money and then kind of came out the other end and was very successful and then sort of found my way in the middle. And, you know, I've been up and down with my money issues. And so this journey for me, as I'm stuck in Florida, have you ever tried to sell houses with illegal liens on it, by the way? <laughs> so I'm nursing them back to health, realize what's going on. It took me a little while, by the way, to figure out what was going on. And I had one crisis after another, bills and calls and collections and you name it running into banks, trying to find his money, trying to find missing bank cards with him, nursing him back to health. It was a disaster getting restraining orders. <laughs> it was bloody hell. It was scary and hard and traumatic when I figured out what was really going on. Do I think the cleaning lady was somehow involved? Yeah. In fact, the divorce attorney that did hire, that my dad did hire and did help my dad up until the 11th hour has since told me in an email, full well knowing that the police are investigating this, has since told me in an email that he felt my dad was being drugged all along. Maybe her role as she was coming into the house, providing him with CBD that I found with white large chunks of some matter in it. My dad told me again yesterday that they said his blood work was laced with cocaine. He might have been an alcoholic, but he never did drugs. Not like that. So anyways... Yeah, it, it was. We had no money to clean the pool. Algae was collecting. I had to lean in and trust and faith because I kept getting told this is the journey you're on. Trust that. And Miracle would show up. I'd get like a Keller Williams profit share check, just enough to cover what I was short on to pay bills. Uh, a realtor that my dad had tried to buy a property from and didn't qualify for financially had been trying to get a deposit check back from since March, shows up two days after I get there, middle of December, just before Christmas, to bring a $5,000 deposit check and return it back to my dad. And so I used that money towards the arrears. And so we had miracles show up along the way. And so I stuck with him and somehow we, in the pandemic, he's we've got hospital bills we still can't pay and my dad has Blue Cross, but it doesn't cover the full extent of the bills and I don't have insurance. And during the pandemic, we come home. I've been detoxing him from his alcohol, taking him to AA. We come back home and my daughter, who was a nurse, as I told you, hadn't been on mat leave yet. She had the extra money. She pays to, uh, for us to be in an Airbnb at a ski lodge, Calabogie Peaks. And the doctor here in Canada wants him on a heavier withdrawal and wants him medicated on a withdrawal. And he does not cope well with that. He gets aggressive towards me. And so he attacks me or tries to multiple times. I have to call the police. 
they come and then he starts wondering and because of his dementia and his very confused state on these alcohol drug withdrawal drugs starts saying that I'm taking his money and of course the police start asking me questions so I show them all the evidence I found this is in March from December and they go well yeah that's a crime I'm like yeah it's a crime so the investigation still goes on so we shall see what happens and I don't want these people to go to jail but the laws need to change the laws need to change because they did take everything he owned from him because I even tried calling my uncle, my mother's brother, because my mom was so convinced he was hiding all this money. Well, he wasn't hiding any money. But with the confabulation, the stories that he was making up in his dementia, I thought that she might maybe have mistaken his confabulated stories for truth. But I was met with a fuck off. So I did eventually get the houses sold, but after multiple buyers walked away because they didn't know what this meant to have these illegal liens. So we come back home, he gets put into the hospital, he gets his dementia diagnosis, a formal one, he has pneumonia, so it was all a blessing. While he's in the hospital, I get these court orders from these illegal liens to drive back down to Florida. So I have to drive back down to Florida again because I had no idea. I knew the liens were there, the illegal mortgages. By the way, I hired a forensic specialist and he was not his signature on those mortgages. Only to hire a lawyer to say, I don't know how we're going to deal with this, Leanne, because you can't get a divorce in the United States in a matrimonial divorce and put a lien on another property to get equity out of the divorce from one state to another in the United States. For example, if I'm getting a divorce in Utah and we have a mutual property in Florida, I cannot put a lien on the property in Florida forcing you to sell it so I get half the equity out of that. There's no legal precedent for that in the United States, but yet... The judge who was going to overhear our hearing came from the same law firm. Yes, folks, this is true. For the attorneys that my mom hired who used to work for my dad. So he says, you can spend all kinds of money going to court to fight this, but likely the judge is going to tell you, you got to go back to Canada and fight it. They didn't show up for court. He didn't even have legal representation. They ignored the medical letters and power of attorney. You got to go back to Canada. Well, folks... I've had about eight lawyers look at the evidence that all say this lawyer should be charged criminally and disbarred, but only one willing to take on another lawyer. Nobody wants to touch this locally with the 10-foot pole because you just don't rat out another lawyer. It's that old boys club. So one lawyer finally willing to take it on, but he says, you better have $100,000, Leanne, because the insurance and the law society will be the ones to pay for his defense. And that needs to change. As does the fact that I tried getting legal aid for him because I didn't have the money to pay for an attorney to battle this, to go to court. Because she was getting most of the equity and I'm paying all his bills. Barely. We had $40 for food some weeks. Relying on miracles after miracle to show up. And my daughter to put us up during the pandemic because we didn't know what we were dealing with him without insurance. Only to have to drive back down. So I drive back down to Florida. He has to be released from the hospital. He starts a fire in the hospital by putting his hanger on the underwear he was trying to clean because they wouldn't let me bring extra clothes for him because of the pandemic and the microwave catches fire. And now they want to charge him, me and him, $30,000 a day. I have to fly him to Florida. They could lose him literally because he was lost his, missed his flight because the customs people don't accept his medical letter eight pages long from his doctor saying he has dementia and they didn't quite like the answers he was giving. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So he finally comes down there and 
I decide we're waiting for court. We're waiting for court because I am stubborn and mad and I'm not going to let these people get away with it. And I'm not selling the house. And then Christmas is coming up soon and we still have no court date because of the pandemic. And I have to make a decision. Do I want to be home with my family? Do I want to continue to be angry? Do I want to just give in and give my mother the money if these for these mortgages that were placed, these illegal mortgages slash liens, and go home and be with my family and just move on? And so that's what I chose to do. But it's really important that I share this on behalf of my father, what I went through, because it was hell on wheels. And I forgot, I started to tell you, and then I forgot again, the other really interesting piece that I'm still dealing with. When I get to Florida and I email my dad's ex-business partner that he went to law school with and started his first practice with, who was a family lawyer, I find out, and in my dad's email, I find out that he's supposed to have been in court in October. This is just about the time that I was supposed to go down to be with him and he forgets to show up for court. And it's about the matter of my grandmother, my late grandmother's estate, my dad's mom. My My dad's brother, my uncle, has decided five, six years later after closing the estate bank accounts that he was not given equal distribution of the estate. (laughs) And by the way, this all has to be agreed to before the accounts are closed, but there was money that was removed from the estate as it turns out, but all the bank banking and everything has been stolen, don't forget. So I got no evidence. With my attorney involved and the OBSME one for the Royal Bank of Canada and threats after threats, it took two years to get the proof, which I just got a few months ago. But because my dad forgot to show up for court with his dementia, because he couldn't get the proof that he needed to defend himself, he was presumed guilty for the missing money from my grandmother's estate. And that is a criminal offense, especially by an attorney. How ironic. And he was facing jail time. And only a few months ago, I would find out that it was the same mother of mine that received the $50,000 that was transferred to her personal bank account from the estate account. So he was going to go to jail for something he didn't even do. Still waiting for my beautiful uncle to decide that my dad can hardly be held liable in this situation and to actually drop this case. So that's what I've been through because the people that were supposed to care for him and protect him chose not to and instead chose to take advantage of his diminished state. And how fair is that, that he's the person that doesn't even remember some things that they may be angry for him, towards him for, He doesn't even remember. Tit for tat is not the way the world should be working. And unfortunately, it is the way the world works in a lot of cases. We get angry with people. We get bitter for our behavior. And we end up taking that harm and that hurt and that pain that we don't cope with well, that we internalize and we treat others poorly as a consequence. And so we come full circle to the healing that I'm hoping that you're all going to benefit from. So, my friends... I'm done with my dad's story. I actually really gave you a brief synopsis because it's too long and drawn out, but it'll give you an idea of why I was burnt out, angry, frustrated, resentful, exhausted, and why I want to change the laws to protect our elderly and change the way we view and treat the elderly. And that's part of my mission here. So thank you for listening to my story. We went over a little bit. I'm going to do the best I can to keep these podcasts between 30 and 40 minutes going forward. Please join me next week for 
Sarah, who is a wonderful Chinese medicine doctor, has her master's in Chinese medicine for some tips and tricks and tools on how to de-stress really quickly in our day. And thank you for listening to my journey, my story on behalf of my dad, Bob McKinley, who doesn't have a voice and who I felt compelled to give a voice to. So thank you, dad. I love you. And for all the love that he's shown me in this journey and how much healing he's provided with to me with the opportunity and the honor of caring for him. Love him dearly. We've become so close. I mean, I worked for him for 10 years when he was sober. And so I've always had a closer relationship with my dad, but it's just gotten even closer. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought. If my dad had the capacity to remember that we didn't get along for a long time and he had abandoned me, I wouldn't be here today. Wouldn't have been able to heal or him heal because he had other childhood traumas that I've helped him heal from, attachment disorder, which is why being abandoned in Florida was so traumatic for him. When I told him we were coming home to Ottawa for the during the pandemic, he broke down crying, just crying because the family had abandoned him. So I thank him for my healing because if he remembered he was mad at me, I would have never got to rekindle my relationship with him. And so just ask yourself, if you could forget, if you could just forget you were mad, if you could lead with love instead, what would love tell you to do? What would love tell you to do? Thank you for listening to this episode dedicated to my dad, Bob McKinley. And going forward, let's inspire, uplift, and um, give us some tools and techniques to change the way we experience our roles as caregivers. Love and light. Until next week, be well, my friends. Be well. Hey, thank you for listening to Caregivers Conversations today and for being a part of this amazing community where we laugh and sometimes cry together, but more importantly, where we aim to change the way we all experience caregiving through inspirational and uplifting stories and the provision of practical tips, tools, and techniques that you can add to your self-care toolkit. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. For any comments, questions, or special requests, reach out to me directly at leannejmckinley.com. And thanks for listening. Until next time, be well, my warrior friends.